Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Late Morning Program with Namras Podcast, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Uh, today is a really interesting episode. I'm here with Govardhan Prabhu, Govardhan Das. Thank you, Prabhu, for joining me. Hare Krishna. Thank you for having me. No problem. So um, today's episode is called Return to Grace, uh, and this is episode 51. And uh, I'm looking to do 100 episodes by the end of the year. So let's see if that happens. But I actually wanted to do some episodes. I put a Facebook post out maybe a few months ago where I said, does anyone know anyone who kind of either left Christian consciousness altogether or left and came back? And I'd like to hear their story. So so a good friend of ours, uh, Nityananda Chandra, uh, mentioned your name. So uh, I got in touch with Govardhan Prabhu, and here we are. I'd love to hear his story. I mean, he told me a little bit about it, but um, I'm I'm just really intrigued by his story because he left for around 10 years and now is back and has created actually a temple in Portland, Oregon, uh, Portland Bhakti Center. We'll, we'll give you the link for, for that uh, Facebook page and Instagram and everything at the end, but I'd love to hear more about, uh, you know, your story. So let's just talk a little bit about um, wh- when did you get in touch with Krishna consciousness uh, initially? Um, so I first came in contact with uh, Christian consciousness around 88, 89 oh, wow. uh, in Miami where I grew up. Um, do you want the story? or? Yeah, please. Um, okay, so somehow or other we came to know about the Sunday feast. I'm not sure if um, – I feel like we were approached by a random devotee on the street. And uh, I think we were walking around like – again, this is high school, so we're walking around, you know, probably stoned. And uh, <laughs> is this a coconut grove temple? Yeah, this is coconut grove. Yeah. Okay, nice. Um, and uh, I think he said, like, do you want some free food? And, you know, we do this on Sunday. So we went to the feast. Uh, and the first person I met was Tara Prabhu. I don't know if, if you're familiar with Tara. A lot of people know him. Yeah, I think I know him. And, uh, you know, Tara was an expert preacher and immediately engaged me in service. Like, I didn't have money to donate for the Sunday feast. You know, I was a high school kid. So um, he had me wash pots, you right. know, and uh, I thought I was I was getting one up on on the devotees. Like, look at that. I'm, I'm getting away with eating a feast because, uh, you know, just by washing pots. Right. So I did that every weekend for, you know, a couple months. And, and Tara would explain the philosophy to me. I got and I got really into it. I mean, it, I remember the second I walked into the temple, I was immediately you know, almost like taken back, like everything was very familiar, you know, the sounds, wow. the the sights, the smells. Right. And um, I just, I just loved it. And um, so that was when I was still in high school and uh, I graduated high school and I went to, uh, I moved to Gainesville to go to college. Um, I did like a week of college and then. Uh, <laughs> wow. A week. Dropped, yeah. Dropped out, traveled around for like a couple months came back to Gainesville and, uh, you know, I was sitting in the plaza one day, let me back up. So right, right at the same time that I was coming in contact with Christian consciousness, my older sister of five years was living in Gainesville and she had, um, she had been forced to do some community hours at 
the Krishna house. Oh, wow. She was, like, she was like drinking or something publicly. or So they made her do community hours and she was a cinematography major. So she decided to do her, her pro like her project or senior thesis or whatever. Yeah. She did a, a, a documentary on the devotees. Wow. So I had already discovered Christian conscious. I was getting into it. She came out with this awesome video, you know, back then, uh, in Gainesville, you had like Anutama was living there. Um, mm -hmm. Daru Brahma was the temple president. Oh, so there okay. were interviews with everyone. Hridai Nanamaraj, because in Miami at that time, I mean, Miami was killer. Everyone was living there. Hridai Nanamaraj, I think, was living there permanently. Uh, there were there's just so many devotees. Um, so she had made the video, and that got me really, you know, enthusiastic. And I was a hardcore kid, but I wasn't, I had never heard of shelter yet. You know, like okay. I was more into like the earlier hardcore, like older, you know, kind of punk stuff. Okay. And I was familiar with youth of today. I just never heard of shelter. So a hardcore friend of mine, you know, I told him I was getting into the, into this Krishna thing. He uh, played me Sharon Agati, this shelter. Oh, song. Nice. Yes. I know that song. And it blew me away. And it was like, conf it was like further validation, like everything that I was getting into that was all right because there were you know hardcore kids getting into that anyways fast forward to 92 i was in gainesville and i was in the plaza one day having lunch and uh i asked daru you know i think we were playing frisbee that was like a thing that that they always did <laughs> and i said how do i do this you know full time like what and he said just come tonight and <laughs> so i came uh with nothing i just you know like i think i gave everything away moved into the temple and within, you know, a half hour, I'm, I'm shaved up wearing saffron and, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, kind of the rest is history. Uh, I started a, a relatively long career of being a full-time devotee. How long were you full-time devotee for? So throughout the entire nineties, um, and like early two thousands. Um, so I left, I was a full-time devotee in one form or other. I was either a traveling brahmachari, you know, living in the temples, um, or, and then eventually I was like a, a married, you know, temple grahasta, yeah. either living in the temples or, you know, deeply involved in the, in the temples. Um, and that was up till 2011. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you had just like, basically you had surrendered like, like uh, everything <laughs> until, 90 to 2011. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say I was surrendered, but um, I was there. I was, you know, I was going through the motions. Surrendered in the sense, like, uh, you also told me, like, you spent a year in Germany at the farm being a Pujari, even though yeah. you didn't think of yourself as a Pujari. So surrendered in the sense of, like, that kind of old-time devotee uh, attitude that whatever the authority tells me to do, I'm going to do that. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely at the mercy of, you know, my temple authorities. I was a temple authority at one point, too, and, you know, not a great one. So, um, mm. but yeah, that was the training then is basically, you know, any any idea you have other than what, you know, you're being required to do, yeah. it's, it's my end. We were actually just having this conversation yesterday. You know, I was talking with a couple people at the center, at, yeah. at the Portland Bhakti Center. Um, I think when I joined, it was, there was no, there was no in between. You were either 
full-time temple mm-hmm. devotee, 16 rounds, four regular principles, do, you know, engaged all day, or you were in Maya. It wasn't, right. you couldn't like live outside and chant 16 rounds, you know, it was, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was very much like, you know, if, if I don't stay in the temple or stay connected to the temple, then, uh, then it's pointless. Tell us a little bit about the breakdown from like in your, in, in, in the full-time devotee, you know, time you were there until 2011, break it down a little bit about what, where you were and what you were doing. So like, for yeah. example, like when you started and then all the yeah. way till the end. So when I first joined, I was immediately, I was in games only like a couple months, um, you know, doing Krishna feast every day. And then this uh, Sankirtan party came through town called the Sunshine Sankirtan Party. It was run by uh, Rasananda Prabhu, who, who was Rasananda Swami at the time. And, uh, you know, they were just enthusiastic, um, you know, traveling Sankirtan devotees. So I, I joined that. And that was, you know, traveling Sankirtan around the country, cold showers in the van, that kind of thing. Mm. And then uh, we ended up in New Orleans. Um, I don't know how much I can reveal on the show. Like this show is primarily for, for devotees, right? It's all, yeah, it's mostly for devotees. Yeah. You can, so there you can was, do uh, what you want. So I think around 93 or something like that, 93, 94, uh, we ended up in New Orleans just passing through. and. New Orleans was in complete chaos at that time. Uh, something had happened. Uh, the temple president at the time, Chaturbahu Prabhu, had been murdered. Uh, not by devotees. Um, wow. But uh, so everything was falling apart. Everything was in shambles. And uh, <clears throat> we, I, I ended up staying there. I really liked the temple. I liked the deities. Um, yeah. So I stayed in New Orleans for a bit, maybe like a year. Um, then I ended up in, in Potomac, Maryland. I always lived at temples where there was great association, you know, I mean, I lived, yeah. I lived in Potomac when Makunda Maharaj and I think Garuda Prabhu were, were both oh. there. Um, oh, time ago. Yeah, I lived, uh, anyways, after Potomac, um, I think I traveled around a little bit, ended up in North Carolina in Hillsboro. And okay. uh, lived there for a bit. And then, uh, anyways, over time, ended up in Berkeley, where I met my first guru. I say my first guru because my, my first guru fell down. And right. So, uh, or, you know, fell down. He's actually still a, a pretty great devotee. He's just not a guru anymore. But right. Um, so from Berkeley, I, I joined his party. I traveled just with him in, a, in like a Volkswagen van for a year. Um. He sent me to Taiwan eventually to like help raise money for this ashram in Vrindavan, like selling paintings and just doing all kinds of random devotee wow. picks, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so I lived there, you know, eventually I was, I got married. It was like an arranged marriage. <laughs> I see. Um, <clears throat> I got married and we were married for 13 years. Um, at one point we were both sent to Germany to serve as Lord Nishingadev's Pujaris at the German farm. Yeah. Um, a couple times in between, we had either moved out, you know, we were living like outside the temple and helping out at the temple. So we were kind of back and forth, like most, I think like most Grahasta's experiences before they fully move out of the temple, they're kind of in limbo. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so, so that's it. So I had, you know, and in Germany, I mean, that was also some, some great association. There were some pretty like amazing devotees there. Um, and, uh, event, you know, eventually ending up in Portland. Okay. So I, I was sent to Eugene for Eugene, Oregon for a time yeah. um, to open up a temple there, uh, which we had, I think for like a year or two. And then our, our Yatra was, was constantly moving mm. and uh, constantly like opening up centers and recruiting devotees. So there was, there was really no like, like long-term place for me yet. Right. And then, so, so, so you got initiated by this first guru and then, uh, and then he had a, he fell down or whatever happened. And then you got reinitiated yeah. and then, and then it was it short. It was shortly. I remember us talking a little bit earlier. You, you kind of left Krishna consciousness after the second time you got initiated. Right. Um, so in hindsight, I'm not even sure why I got initiated again. I guess I thought that that was like a necessary step. Right. So that your guru be in good standing with this con, you know, but <clears throat> I think, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case. You know, I mean, I was connected to the Parampara, but regardless, I, I had a long-term relationship with my current guru, uh, because I had lived at his temple in North Carolina for a while, um, right, right. you know, as a brahmachari and, and he was our GBC at the time. So when, when, when our guru left, you know, he was sent in to clean up the mess. And I think I was, uh, I was on the temple board or, or whatever at the time. So I was, I was dealing with him a lot directly and, and, you know, and I just said, Hey, why don't I take reinitiation from you? Like we're already friends, you know? Hmm. Um, and he said, of course, you know, that makes sense. So I was initiated pretty quick, like pretty quickly after my first guru left. Um, and then I, I didn't leave right away. I think it was actually, now that I think about it, I think, I think it was still like, five or like five or six years or something i don't remember exactly when oh i see left but you know it was a few years um nice. but but by that time i was i was living outside of the temple i'm I, you know back from germany um and i'm working and i'm trying to be you know trying to maintain ourselves and so uh yeah it was a few years after my second you know time getting initiated yeah uh, um that i just decided to leave Tell us a little bit about your thought process and like what, what led to that. Like, you know, cause sometimes I think, you know, devotees don't necessarily like make that, uh, in that, in their minds are like, okay, like today I'm, I'm, I'm a devotee. And then tomorrow it's like, okay, I'm not a devotee anymore. Yeah, It's like, sometimes it's like a gradual thing. Sometimes it's like, okay, you just, you just lose the association of devotees and you don't kind of relate with that anymore. Like, tell us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah. I think it was a combination. I mean, it, it it, it definitely happened gradually. You know, it's not like I woke up one day and I'm like, you know, I'm done with this, um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I could blame it on a bunch of external circumstances, but ultimately yeah, when all is said and done, it's, I just wasn't surrendered to Krishna. Right. But the, the circumstances surrounding my, my decision were, you know, so the fall down first of my, of my first guru was very damaging to our community here in Portland. Um, and actually all over the world, like we had, you know, we were developing a pretty large yatra by, by that time, you know, and, um, we, we were giving it our all, like we were, we were really committed to our, even though, you know, in retrospect, I could see, I could see the problems pretty clear as day, 
you know, why, why my guru would leave. Um, you know, he admittedly like, wasn't following the principles. He wasn't chanting. Um, but we had dedicated our lives to this guy who was, you know, as good as God. And he was, mm. you know, he was telling us to do all these things, to follow the principles, to chant Hare Krishna. Um, at the same time, criticizing other devotees that I felt inspired by, you know, mm. I, again, I, I had some pretty great association early on. So, you know, I was at Gita Nagari for a bit working with, with cows with, you know, in Bhakti Tirta Maharaj's association. I had met, you know, Bhakti Srub Damodar Maharaj, Gaur Govinda Maharaj, like all these great devotees that I was inspired by. But when I met my, my, my guru, he, he had like criticized all these devotees. And so, you know, our, our party was very much like our camp versus the rest of the rest of every, you know, everyone. What right. to speak of non-ISKCON? Like, you know, I mean, you know, my, my, my good friend uh, in Miami who I discovered Christian consciousness with, he became a disciple of uh, Narayan Maharaj early on. And, but I was taught, no, you know, we can't, we don't support Narayan Maharaj, you know, who, and I thought Narayan Maharaj was great. So right. anyway, so, you know, we had given up all our preconceptions, whatever, and surrendered to the, to this guru. Uh, and then when he had his fall from grace, uh, it, it like ripped apart our congregation. You know, we, you know, I, I remember there were a couple devotees here who were running the temple and they were just working like, like day in, day out, you know, cooking everything, doing everything. And our guru came and just like, no appreciation. No, he was like, all right, I'm going to take all the devotees. We had a bus at the time, like a Greyhound bus. And uh, he, he like took all the devotees from our temple, you know, went traveling and, and just left us all hanging anyway. So when he eventually, you know, gave up his position as guru, our congregation here fell apart. Um, some devotees left completely. Some devotees went back to Germany. We had a lot of like international devotees here, some German devotees, some Bosnian devotees. Uh, they had returned to where they are. Some devotees, uh, like you mentioned, Nichananda Chandra Prabhu, uh, you know, some devotees like him went to Dallas to be part of like a, an established large congregation. And the Grahastas who were here, myself and, and a few others, we were just kind of left with like nothing. There was no, there was no party, no temple. Uh, you know, the closest temple was uh, the, the Hillsboro temple that exists now, Hillsboro, Oregon, not North Carolina. Um, and that's like an hour away. And even that was like in its startup stage. And so there, there was just nothing for us to, to do. And, you know, for myself personally, I, I didn't intend to leave. I mean, I, I wouldn't have become a devotee if I wanted to not be a devotee. Um, but I was just starting my, my time, uh, you know, working on, on being a grahasta and being, you know, trying to be successful and, and provide for my family. And I think just over time and with the validation of my first guru leaving that, okay, well, well he left. And so, Where's the point in me even trying if like my own guru didn't even succeed? I, mm. I think that was my mentality, you know, it was like, well, what's the point? I've been doing this now 20 years and where am I at? I'm still, you know, struggling. I'm not, you know, and um, at the same time, some things had bothered me. Like when I was in Germany, for example, one of my co-pujaris, 
was a gay a gay devotee and you know i was encouraging him like you should come out like what be yourself you know yeah i'm i'm a very liberal person and and he did and i they like made him get married to a to a lady oh gosh you know then they kind of like shunned him a little and he left completely like totally fried i just saw so many people getting fried and and i was starting to wonder like why if this is such a great beautiful thing that you know what's wrong why is everyone leaving i mean yeah you know even through the stuff because i experienced a lot of like you know negative things i think in the early mid 90s in iscon i mean a lot of more great things obviously um but you know there was definitely some some stuff that was going on and um i i had persevered through that but i think with the ultimate you know fall down of my groove is kind of like all right well i i don't need this you know and and i i had started working i'd started experiencing some material success for for my first time you know which i didn't know was in me i didn't know that i had because Mm. i was never allowed to like do that kind of thing in the (laughs) temple i just did whatever they told me to do always like improperly engaged too like i i'm not a book distributor it's not I'm not designed for that, but I did it. You know, I'm not, I love deities, but I'm not a Pujari by nature. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not my, my thing. So I think when I started, you know, taking control of my own and I started experiencing some success, I think I rationalized that I, I don't need Krishna anymore. Like I'm doing all this, you yeah. know, and you know, all, Krishna, is the intelligence in man, right? So um, I think he gave me that facility to like forget him, you know, like, cause that's what I wanted. I wanted to to forget about Krishna and not be, you know, because as as I moved out of the temple and, and you know, was trying to be a grahasta, being a devotee in, in one sense, it was always, it was always a challenge to like do what non-devotees were doing, you know, to be engaged in, you know, material endeavors and everything, but but almost like hide hide the fact that I'm a devotee, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like hide my Sika or like chant on, on my lunch break or, whatever, you know? And so, <laughs> so then I just figured, okay, well, I don't have to do any of this. And, yeah, you know, kind of no harm, no foul, but mistakenly. But, and so I think uh, just as Krishna, you know, is, is our power, like when we're, when we're fixed up and when we're focused on Krishna, like he gives us, that intelligence to to serve him but it, the same could be said the other way you know i mean man disposes god or man proposes god disposes right so yeah i think i wanted to leave and so krishna gave me that facility it, it, the, the the position of guru holds so much in the sense of like if if you lose faith in someone like that it can just just be so violently harmful to someone's life right to someone's krishna consciousness so i uh, it just it boggles my mind how um you know i mean it's it's gone throughout the the years the 80s and 90s i mean you went you went through that just uh the, the position of guru and people the gurus who couldn't continue their their service as a guru or as or as the principals or whatever it was it's it, it just like it's like the collateral damage is like crazy especially if someone was very very uh influential and they had a lot of huge following and things like that so that's yeah absolutely it's interesting it's 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 interesting you say that because 
you had already gotten initiated by someone else and and but that still stuck with you from your first guru yeah yeah for sure um and i don't even know if you know after i had gotten initiated the second time i think i had already i had already become pretty lax in my in my practice you know i mean right i was chanting and everything but i think uh i had already initiated the the sequence that would follow of right you know, kind of losing faith um and and because I, the way i was trained up you know by this particular guru was to find fault in a lot of a lot of great devotees you know right and that sets you up for failure. i mean operad you know it, right, you can't right. really fight that and um you know so and and yeah yeah you're right about the the focus on guru and that was always a huge thing like when i remember when i first went when i first was going to the miami temple there was still like the zonal acharya uh in the <laughs> temple room oh my gosh. Right? which was like reserved for whoever it was i think it was right, right. Um, and you know when i when i was a Bra when i was a new brahmachari like the the kirtan ananda thing was just starting out with him being you know prosecuted for for various things and at the same time i had all these you know i was the same age as as a lot of gurukulis who were born in the 70s and yeah. they were coming out and and you know they were still very they they were like every temple i went to there was there were parties of of gurukulis who would come through and but they would they would like you know bad mouth or you know something like they would talk about their experiences uh, growing right. up and, and right, they weren't favorable experiences and so I, I definitely had some things working against me um and then when i met so i you know all these all these gurus that i had uh experienced over the years again bhakti tirtamaj gorgovinda swami like were, were great and then i met my first guru and it was like okay yeah all those people that you met they're 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 lame you know and uh Wow. And then I would see, and then I started seeing gurus falling down, other people's gurus falling down. And my thought was always, wow, I'm so glad that, that I'm properly oh, situated with like a fixed up guru, you know, Prabhupada man. That was his, always his thing, you know, Prabhupada man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So then when he left, sure, it was, it was completely devastating, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's validation for any Maya that you're already in, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, like you, so your guru did it, so you can do it. Now, now your wife at the time, what was her like attitude towards everything? Was she going through the same things that you were, or were you guys sharing this this feeling? Yeah. Um, so I had I had actually, while my guru was still in good standing when we were living in Germany, I had actually brought up to her that I, I, I felt as if you know something was off and. And she she wasn't feeling that she was like she got really mad at me you know because i wanted to reject our guru you know and mm. so whatever so we we stuck with it and um but yeah when the whole thing happened and and it all went down i mean she was fried you know she we stuck she's she stuck with it with me you know after the after that fall down um she didn't take reinitiation but she has a good relationship with my guru and um you know she, she was taking instruction from him but she didn't feel it necessary to take reinitiation and 
but she was completely fried and still to this day like she's fried i mean you know she was also i mean her experience in christian consciousness was different than mine um we met i actually made her a devotee we met on the street in berkeley and i was again you know i was a brahmachari and i had preached to her in people's park and yeah she i invited her to the sunday feast and she came and never left and she was (laughs) she was actually 17 at the time too and uh the temple had to get like permission from her father like you know he had to sign something wow so she she moved in and for a few years she was like a brahmacharini uh you know she was in hawaii for a bit here and there and she did she didn't have a great experience as as many women you know in the in the mid 90s yeah it's gone didn't and uh yeah you know she had lived she took initiation from the same guru and she was one brahmacharini in a in a temp in a house of like 20 brahmacharis you know or something and it was you know 20 brahmacharis who had just joined you know and and um you know they're they're they became her authority and you know so yeah she didn't have a great experience to begin with as as a early you know early on as a devotee and then yeah i think with the fall down of our guru she was done you know she's fried and you can't mm. blame her so then so then after you left you you told me that you opened uh, like 100 businesses and you were entrepreneur <laughs> tell, tell us tell us <laughs> tell us a little bit about that because i find that very interesting because i personally am uh, interested in entrepreneurship but to to see, hear your story i mean i mean we're still getting to the end of the story but but right. tell us a little bit about that yeah so i think i always had that when like for example when i was a young like hardcore kid i i made zines if you know what zines are like a right. hand hand drawn magazines and i organize you know i organized shows and stuff i, I was really into like making stuff happen so and, you had this like vaishya kind of real vaishya uh bob yeah, for sure vaishya yeah. Shatria, yeah right right and um you know so i had that propensity I, I remember actually even at the at our temple here for a while i wanted to open a gift shop we didn't have one Mm. And um, I thought that that would be a good service for me, but um, that was that was shut down, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when I moved out, you know, like a lot of devotees, I had no training in anything. You know, I, mean, uh, I knew how to be a brahmachari, and I knew yeah, how to pry yeah. people out. Um, <laughs> so I worked random jobs, like every kind of job you could think of, um, and I went to barber school. Oh, well, I went into the military. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell, Shatria, yes, tell us about that. Because part of the, 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 the timeline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after Germany, this is kind of odd. So right after being a Pujari for a year in Germany, which is a whole, which is like a very serene, mellow life. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. that's all I did was serve the deities. Uh, moved back to America. And I was like, what do I, what do I do? Like, for a living, you know, we're going to move out of the temple. We had moved to Seattle and um, I opened up a, a free restaurant with Hari Vilas Prabhu or Mara. Yeah, Hari Vilas. Yeah, yeah, Hari Vilas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we opened up this like free restaurant together called My Sweet Lord, which is like a horrible, <laughs> horrible name. But um, <laughs> I, I can say that now as an expert in branding that, that My Sweet Lord was not a good name for a restaurant. But you know, we did that, but I wasn't making money. It was a free restaurant. Like, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> it's like the antithesis of what you should be doing That's with right. a restaurant. Yeah. So, and then I sold t-shirts like on, on the street for a devotee, you know, like, like Seattle space needle t-shirts. It, anyways, I met, I met an army recruiter on the street once. Okay. And I had a God brother at the time, Partisarity. Yeah, I know him really well. I was just talking about you to him uh, yeah. yesterday. He was like, "Oh, I remember him, and that's cool. I want to. I'd like to talk to him again." I told him to log on and 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 watch. I hope he's watching yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was a devotee in Germany. Uh, he would come to the temple all the time, and he was uh, in the army. And you know, he had a good experience in the army. So I met this recruiter. I came home to my wife. I said, "What do you think about me?" like joining the army i don't know you know it's something it would guarantee us like income i can go to school yada yeah. yada so i did that and joined the army um you know i went to iraq for a year wow um where i wrote a book about being a devotee in iraq it, they they had posted uh excerpts of the book on uh chakra back then chakra back in the day yeah, yeah. Which I think became Dandavats. Um, anyways, it was called Memoirs of a Modern Day Kshatriya, and it was just about my experience as a devotee in in the army. So I did that, and when I was done with the army, I uh, I went to barber school. Let's talk a little, little bit about the army, uh, a little bit more in detail. So so how so something that boggles my mind. How does a devotee who is a vegetarian? <laughs> like live in an army yeah. you know, because the, you know, the, the whole concept and everything of war and things like it doesn't like jive well with like, kind of like a, a vision of a lifestyle. So how did you, how did you do that? I mean, it jived with Arjuna. So, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had that question too. I think initially I was like, how do I, how do I reconcile like, you know, the practice of ahimsa and, you know, nonviolence and, and, all that with being a devotee. Right. And I think it was justified by, you know, doing your duty. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. Um, and our guru at the time, you know, he was, he supported, you know, Parthasarity in, in the military and, you know, he thought it was a good idea if I did it. So that's it, you know, guru's blessings. Um, and being there like in Iraq, for example, uh, it was extremely hard. The, the army didn't have an obligation at that time to accommodate your diet on a religious basis and <laughs> um so it was either you eat you know mres which are disgusting or you know i i made friends with a couple people in the in the cafeteria and i was able to like swindle some you know iceberg lettuce and like peanut butter so gosh actually like for the entire year all i ate was like salad and peanut butter and jelly Pretty oh much for the whole God. year, I lost sixty pounds, and I'm already like a thin guy. Oh my goodness! You know, because you're you're walking around 120 degree heat, so you're you're gonna sweat all your weight out anyways. And then on top of that, you know, I wasn't eating. Um, and if if there was ever a time that would have been acceptable for me to, you know, to to make some adjustments in my diet, it would have been then, right? But yeah, of course, I didn't. I wouldn't do it, you know. So um, it was it was pretty austere, and we. You know, we slept, we lived in like, we, we found this abandoned motor pool uh, from that the Iraqi army used and we, we built little like rooms in it. I mean, that's what we lived in. It was, it was hell, man. It was hellish. Wow. It was like a hellish planet, you know, like there were like 
you had garbage burning pits all over the place and it, you know, it sucked and you're living in a, so I think that lifestyle actually compounded on top of the, the strict lifestyle of being a Hare Krishna, you know, monk. Yeah. Um, it was a lot. I mean, there's a lot of discipline in both, which is good and bad. I mean, it, it didn't work out for me at the time because I, I have an independent streak and I'm rebellious by nature, you know, but yeah. Um, but it, it gave me great structure and, and uh, like a, an insane work ethic. Um, but you know, you have, you're being mistreated in both, right? I mean, I was certainly at times mistreated in the Hare Krishna movement by, you know, Bhakti leaders and stuff like that. Um, and, and you're definitely mistreated in the military. You know, you have all these, all these silly, you know, I, I had joined a little older. I was like 27 when I went in, but, you know, but I have all these like 21 year old kids. Yeah. Who are like my superiors. Wow. Um, so anyways, it wasn't the life for me. So after one year uh, of, of doing that and uh, you came back and you went to barber school. No, no, I was in for more than a year. I oh, was, okay. I was in Iraq for a year. I was in Iraq Oh, okay, okay. So uh, then when you when you came back, you were kind of like a, a civilian, uh, like you were doing army things, but you were work you were staying at home or how was that working? Yeah, no, I was still in the army, um, but yeah. I was I was stationed outside of Seattle. I see. So okay. uh, then I then I got out of the army and I, you know, was trying to work for uh, no, no, I was working in Seattle doing the T-shirts and everything before the army. OK, so when I got out of the military that I went straight to barber school. Yeah. Um, because I was like, what, what can I use? You know, what, what's a skill that I can use everywhere. And I had always done, like when I was in high school, I always, you know, I always cut everyone's hair. Like I would fade, mm. I would fade people's hair up, you know? And, um, you know, I rolled with like, I was a hardcore kid, but I also rolled with like hip hop kids and like, mm. I wrote graffiti and stuff. And so, um, we were always like fading our hair yeah, stuff like that. So I, so I knew how to do it. And, um, yeah, so I went to barber school, um, and I did really well at that, you know, um, you know, I, I did like competitions and stuff in school and I always won the competitions. Wow. Uh, same thing in the military. Like when I went into the military, like I, you know, I graduated at the, as the distinguished honor grad, uh, in the technical training, you know, like, um, and anyway, so I went to barber school, did all that. Um, went to work for a barber shop for a couple years or a few years. And then I, and then I opened a shop of my own. I had a pretty large clientele by that time I had been, you know, working and managing this, the shop for a few years. And, um, so I, I just took a chance and opened up, I mean, you know, saved up like 10 grand and I just, I opened up like a little one chair, tiny little, like 200 square foot sliver of a building. Wow. And I did that and I opened that up and um, it was immediately successful. Like I had a large clientele. There wasn't really anything in Portland at the time because I was living back in Portland. There wasn't any like barber scene, you know, it hadn't really hit yet. Um, that that There was a famous HBO show, Boardwalk Empire. Mm. If you remember that show. Yeah, um, yeah. That was, that had just hit and the trends were starting to to follow. So people were starting to do these like, you know, old school, like 1940s look. Right. And, 
I wrote to, to Boardwalk Empire and I, I told them that the stuff they did in the first season, it wasn't periodically correct, you know, and that I, I knew about this and I could help them. And I, I got a gig like consulting on that show. Oh, wow. And um, when I did that, the Oregonian, the, the, the local paper, they wrote, they did an article on me and my shop just took off. It was, you know, so after a couple of years, I was, I was so, I was booked for like months, you know, and for haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. And shaves. we were doing like traditional, you know, straight okay. razor shaves and stuff. Right. Um, I was booked up for months and I couldn't, I couldn't like accommodate any new customers. So I moved up the street to a larger space, started hiring people. Yeah. And, but the same thing happened. We just, we blew up, you know? And, um, so wow. after a couple more years, I decided to open a second location on an, on the other side of town to accommodate those people. Wow. And, and then it kind of went like that every, every couple of years, I just opened up another shop, you know? So I ended up with this chain of barber shops. You how know? many, how many were well, there? I had like five, five shops um, across Oregon, like uh, outside yeah. of Portland too. Uh -huh. um, and that, and that just led to, oh, I should add. My first business, actually, before the barber shops, while I was working and managing that one barber uh, shop, um, I had a food cart, like a vegan food cart. Mm. And uh, the food cart scene hadn't really taken off here yet, so it didn't do that great. But, you know, it got me, it got my my fingers wet or whatever, my toes wet or whatever that expression is. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it gave me the taste, you know, and it and it showed me I had to work for myself. So anyways um five barber shops later then i just started getting into other things you know so i had a couple of restaurants um you know i got into uh i got remarried and my i'm i'm divorced again but <laughs> mm -hmm. my second wife was a tattoo artist so we opened up a tattoo shop together um and then you know i just went on i mean there was i mean i was involved in you know, I didn't own a hundred businesses, but I, I was certainly involved in them. Like, I, you know, right. I think there was, there was a time in Portland, maybe, you know, five years ago where you would have been hard pressed to find a business that I wasn't somehow or other connected to, you know, <laughs> right. um, like an, an investor or, or, yeah. or advisor or something. Yeah. So I, well, I started consulting with people, you know, for startups and everything. I yeah. invested in a couple of businesses. Um, but yeah, so by the end of it all, I had, you know, some restaurants, some barber shops, a tattoo shop. I had a motorcycle, motorcycle repair shop. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> I, was a C, I was the COO of a bioplastics company that I helped found. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, I just had a lot of random, random things. And then I sold, you know, along the way I was selling businesses too, you know. So, I see. So then it was kind of like you know, I had this success that I had never experienced and, and I did it, you know, I was the controller. Yes. My mentality, you know, so <laughs> I had, so I, I completely just forgot at all about Christian conscious. Like I, it didn't even enter my mind. And if it did, if I talked with people about it, you know, it wasn't in the most positive light. I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah, of course, you know, um, so, so yeah. So, so uh, that's amazing. So you, you had all this material success and, uh, 
tell us a little bit about, I mean, you don't have to, but, but like, I will. Your okay, your 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 wife who was the devotee, yeah. uh, that just kind of it just kind of fizzled out. Like the you know, thirteen years you had been married. Uh, I I assume you had children, and so it just kind of yeah. We have three three children. Um, it fizzled out. Well, oh, like how our marriage ended. Sort of. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, the, yeah. she you guys wanted to go different ways, and well, kind of. Well, you know, our our common ground was Christian consciousness. You know, that's right. That's, right. The only thing, that's really what we had in common. Right. It's not like we were arranged by our nature. I mean, yes, I, yes. I was a, a, you know, punk rock, hardcore kid and she was like a hippie and we were very different natures, you know? Um, and so, but our connection was Christian consciousness. So then when, when we, we, cause we had both decided to kind of step away from it. Yeah. So then when we were living just as, as non devotees, you know, like what, what was, what was our common ground besides our kids, right? you know, and, and our marriage, because again, you know, Christian conscious marriage in the, in the nineties, like our, you know, our guru is like, you know, he's in charge, you know, I, I was supposed to be like running the show and I wasn't the nicest guy, you know? And that was just what was normal for us. Like, that's what we saw in Christian, you know, in, in relationships at that time. So um, we always had like a little bit of a rocky marriage. Um, but, you know, we stayed together because of Krishna, because of the kids. And then eventually I, we were just both really unhappy. And I was like, we're not doing any favors for the kids staying together. Like, they don't want to see us like this. Yeah. So, yeah. So we split up. It was a, it was a pretty ugly divorce for you know now we're friends and um, we actually live like a block away apart uh, so oh, wow. our, our kids go back and forth you know wow wow but um but yeah that that was it and um, I wanted to make up for lost time you know yeah. like I missed my entire twenty I didn't miss you know I had a great I had a good experience overall in Christian consciousness I'm not gonna I'm not blaming Christian consciousness for my leaving right. but right um. I wanted to make up for lost time, man. I wanted to yeah. be 20 again, you know? So mm. I did, I, you know, I dated and, and this and that, and, you know, I did my business and, um, you know, I got back into a lot of things I had been into. I was, I was already relatively like heavily tattooed for, for when I joined, like for that time mm. I had like a sleeve and that was like pretty extreme. <laughs> um, you know, and then with, and then with my second marriage, you know, owning a tattoo shop, I just you know, I got really into that whole culture. Right, right. I ended up getting tons of tattoos, which now I have like you no know, no use for. But, right. um, but yeah, I think I think if uh, if, if we hadn't left Christian consciousness, you know, we would have probably been in a different place altogether because mm. you know we couldn't have justified getting divorced because it's not part of our philosophy, you know yeah um but i think we not having that barrier not having that like restriction of being a devotee like we could do whatever we want and um yeah, yeah our marriage just didn't work out so then so then when did you kind of feel like what was the beginning of the the return tell us a little bit about that well that's jumping forward quite you know 10 years but <laughs> um 
But in those 10 years, it was mostly you were, uh, you know, you were very much within your business and your family and things like yeah, that, right? I was antithetical to Christian consciousness. I mean, even when I would talk about it, um, like I talked to my ex-wife a couple of times. I'm like, what do you think about, like, do you ever think about it? Do you still right. believe in any, you know, we would have those talks or I'd, I'd meet other like former devotees and, and we'd have those conversations. Yeah. Um, my, my whole thing was I had become. You know, I, I didn't hate Christian consciousness as a philosophy. I didn't like the movement for some time. That's a fact. But, um, and that's, you know, largely because of things that had happened over the years, bureaucracy, just, man, you know, mismanagement and, you know, gurus and, and all this. Like, but the philosophy itself, I mean, you know, I questioned some of it when, when I was out of it. Um, yeah. You know, I, you know, as your usual, like, how can this be the one true <clears throat> path? And I still actually feel that. I mean, I don't yeah. believe that we're the the way. But um, yeah, so I think it had even gotten to the point. I don't think I ever like didn't believe in like God. Um, okay. But but it was definitely like um, I remember saying this to a few people like. Yeah, whether God exists or not, I don't know. It, it just doesn't matter to me either way. You know, mm. it, just, it just didn't matter. And and I believe that it didn't matter to God, you know, that uh. like, he doesn't need us. And, you know, and I, I remember saying several times, like I went once to the to the temple here in, in Hillsborough. I went, I think I was in the area. I just stopped by I don't, randomly just for a visit. And I was talking to the temple president. And I remember telling him once that, you know, he was like, oh, it's okay. You know, Krishna, Krishna, you know, he's, he's still there. He'll take you back when you're ready. And I was like, I don't need, you know, I don't need your like consolation. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't feel bad about where I'm at and I don't right. have any intention of becoming a devotee again. I had no intention of becoming a devotee. Wow. Um, anyways. So fast it, was, it, it was just, it wasn't um, because of your material success and, and because you thought Krishna doesn't need me. There was no, there was like, there was no relate, like it wasn't relevant in your life at the moment to be, to think about God or to do anything like that. Right, at all. It wasn't relevant. I think in a lot of ways, you know, living in the temples or serving the military or whatever, it, it filled some, some void that I needed filled, right? I needed either the structure or you know, the discipline, um, and, you know, and philosophically, I, I believed it. I mean, I, I felt from day one, when I first walked into that Miami temple, that that's where I was supposed to be, you know? Nice. Um, so, but yeah, I think when I was out of it, I, I think it was largely due to material success. I said, well, I, I've got everything I need now, Yeah. you know, and, and no one helped me to get it. So mm. it was all done by you. Yeah, I didn't feel like I owed anyone anything. Um, mm. And and it was easier to reject Krishna consciousness because I could do what I want. I could, you know, I could I could party, like, you know, if, if I wanted to have a drink or something, like, no big deal. Like, well, I don't have any responsibility to anyone. Yeah. And yeah. so I think I further justified it like that. Like, uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and so... Then, you know, for the past couple years from now, you know, the past couple years, I, I was really starting to consider again, like, you know, what, what do I, what do I believe like about God 
and it, like I, I wasn't into Christian consciousness. I was I had no plan of going back there. But you know, when I really thought about it philosophically, I, it, it wasn't rational that there would be no God. It just doesn't make sense. You know, mm. I mean, the proof is all around us. So um, I'd get really turned off, like when I would see people on social media, for example. It's it's pretty trendy these days to to be like anti God and anti religion. You know, I mean, you have these t-shirts that i see people wearing that say you know no gods no masters like it, it's like funny and cool to to diss religion you know mm. and and it's super cliche to you know everyone blames religion on everything oh all the wars in the world were started because of religion which actually isn't the case you know i mean certainly there have been wars based on religion but right. I, don't think, I don't think that's the cause of all the wars but and, and I feel these people. I mean, I, I have problems with religion for th those reasons, too. I mean, you know, the the, the dogma and the hypocrisy and all that. Right. But, um, but it doesn't make sense to me that, that there wouldn't be a God. You know, that that just uh, doesn't resonate with me. Uh, but, I, but I didn't feel the need to do anything about it. I, I decided, okay, well, I believe that there's God, but, you know... I don't believe that we have an obligation one way or the other. We're not affected by that. So, so that was kind of my rationale for the, for the last couple of years of me not being a devotee. Um, and then what was your other question? Uh, so, so, so then how did you start kind of thinking like, I mean, what you are now is like, Oh, you've opened up a center and you're like very much back into it. But yeah. how did it kind of start? How did your resurfacing? Yeah. Resurfacing. How did that happen? Okay. So, so, uh, in the beginning of COVID, um, so there, Anyways, in the beginning of COVID, I, uh, there was a girl I had dated, you know, a couple years ago for like a week. Um, she had posted something on Facebook, like, uh, you know, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but in the beginning of COVID, everyone was starting to like call people out for everything, you know, like, right. um, you know, cancel culture was, was, was there and, uh, yes, yes. you know, everyone, everyone was being called out. So, you know, this girl had gone on Facebook or something and she was like, oh, you know, I, there's this guy in town and, you know, everyone seems to like, like him and, and, you know, respect him. And, you know, I was, I was fairly well known in, in, in town, you know, for my businesses and stuff. Yeah. She, but she was, you know, so she posted like, basically like he, he was a jerk to me, you know? And, but what happened was, uh, several people from my past who I had had interactions with either people I had dated or people I fired, you know, in jobs, basically like a handful of people that I had negative interactions with in the past, they kind of all joined in on that post. Oh, wow. And they were like, you know, calling me out for being, oh my gosh. you know, I mean, they were saying like, all right, he's not, he hasn't been like, you know, physically, physically or sexually abusive or anything, but like emo emotionally and mentally abusive. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I got defensive about it at first. I was like, oh, these, these people need to, you know, focus on, on their own life or whatever. But, um, it started circulating around and, and, um, it, it kind of became a big thing. You know, I got called out and, uh, 
I was afraid that people were going to like boycott my businesses, like my reputation was going to be ruined. You know, I lost friends and stuff like that. And um, I started realizing that, you know, to be upset with the people that were calling me out wasn't, it wasn't, uh, that wasn't the right mentality to have. I mean, I was being called out because I had displayed like, you know, toxic behaviors in, in the past. I, and I think that was all part of, um, you know, becoming that like entrepreneur and, you know, and, and being, you know, at one point I had like, a, you know, over a hundred employees simultaneously, you, you know, and, and, and I'm an East coaster. So I'm already kind of like, you know, aggressive and, <laughs> Um, I just, I, I had become a, I, I realized that I'd become a jerk, you know, over the years. Mm. Um, and, uh, I was mistreating people, you know, and I was, uh, um, you know, I was manipulating people and just kind of just like being a horrible person. And, and it, it, it threw me into this like deep depression for, you know, a couple months. Life was really hard, uh, even to the point where I've never, I've never struggled with like, um, I've never struggled with like mental health issues. You know, I've always, I've always considered myself pretty balanced, you know, and yeah, <clears throat> I got really depressed. I mean, uh, even, you know, to the, to the point where I was like, I had thought about suicide for a second. Like I, I wouldn't do it. Wow. But, uh, I was just like, man, I'm a real jerk and no one likes me. And this was because this was because of this post and because people were kind of, uh, you know, questioning your, the rep, yeah. your rep, good reputation and everything. Yeah. The post was the catalyst, you know, and then yeah. I just started looking at like all my past relationships, my, my, my previous marriage. And I was like, man, I, I'm like not a good person. You know, I, I just, I felt pretty bad. And, um, and, uh, I think in a, in a moment of desperation, cause I was like, I felt like, you know, the whole world had, had crumbled, you know, and I was, I was losing everything. Wow. Um, you know, and it was taking a toll on my partners, you know, she was having, you know, her friends are, are texting her every day. Hey, are you okay? Are you being mistreated? It was like, you know, um, and it kind of blew up from, and I'm not minimizing what I did because, you know, I've, I, I haven't been a good guy to people, but um, it had kind of, it blew up like really big. And I was like, all right, you know, you don't need to check on my partner to see if she's being treated. Okay. It's not like, you know, the things I was being called out for was basically being a big a-hole, you know? Right. Um, and she already knows that, but, <laughs> um, anyway, so, so one day, you know, I was sitting there and I was by this point, you know, this had all followed like, like like a couple month period of me really contemplating like what I believe and, you know, deciding that, okay, well, I, I do believe in God. And what, what am I going to do about that? Like, if I believe in God and if I understand this position of God, like I can't just keep going on doing what I'm doing. I have to change my life. Then this whole thing happened. Oh, right? let's see. Um, and I remembered when I first met my, my current guru, you know, one of the first things he told me was that, you know, if, if Krishna likes you, he, he gives you everything you want. But if he loves you, he takes everything from you. Mm. I didn't understand that at the time. And I never understood that my whole life as a devotee. Finally, it, it really made a lot of sense to me that, you know, I definitely felt God's hand in this. Like if I'm ever going to 
if I'm ever going to get out of this place, um, I need to lose my attachment to it. And, and I certainly did like overnight, you know, and wow. uh, <laughs> anyway, so it kind of in a moment of desperation, I just, you know, I, I started meditating one day for like a couple hours and I was sitting there and I was, you know, meditating and I started to pray and not to Krishna, you know, again, Krishna was not in my mind at this time. Meditating, um, you're just sitting there quietly and I was sitting there quietly and I, I started praying and I was, you know, I was trying to do like a formal prayer, like, Oh Lord, something. <laughs> and then I just started talking like I'm talking to you. Yeah. I started having this like conversation with God and and completely against any of my intention, I, I just started chanting the Maha Mantra. Wow. wow. Um, like spontaneously. And I chanted, you know, for like an hour. I sat and I chanted. It was one of the best mantra sessions, uh, Japa sessions I've had in my life. Like it was, the, the you know, I was super intent on it. And um, I immediately felt relieved. And Krishna, you know, um, you know, he revealed himself to me in that way that like, and he, and, and, and more than that revealed kind of what, what I needed to do that, like he wasn't done with me. And, you know, again, I had no desire to be a devotee up and up until that point, I had no desire to be a devotee. Um, and then by the end of that kind of prayer and, and chanting session, I was like, man, um, yeah, you know, Krishna won't let me go you know, and what am I going to do about it? Like, I, I can't just keep living this life. You know, I, some of the businesses I had weren't even in line with like our principles. I had a bar, you know, right. so, um, I kept it from everyone. I, I didn't tell anyone except I, I reached out to my guru who I hadn't talked to in 10 years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I reached out to him. I said, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. I'd like to come back to Christian consciousness, but some things are going to be different for me. Like right. for example, our relationship I think is going to be different. You know, I can't, I can't view you in the same light as maybe I did in the past. You know, um, yeah. I, I mentioned it to my, I talked to my ex-wife about it because she under, you know, she had been a devotee. Like I, at this point I had no devotees in my life. Who am I going to talk to? You know, I didn't even talk to my partner about it. Right. Which, I want to pause you for a second. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to talk a little bit about when you said you just started to chant and you had those one of the best Java sessions. Yeah. I find that so fascinating that you were kind of stripped of all your kind of facades that you had as far as you weren't you weren't you know you were a devotee uh you know in the when you when you were a, when you, like when you were a brahmachari yeah. and all that stuff no one was no one told you to chant no you weren't chanting for anyone else you weren't uh there was no I mean, not only that i was chanting against my own my own yeah. <laughs> and that kind of chanting is like the most sincere because it's you're just chanting for the sake of chanting but in your case i mean you you didn't even choose to it just came to you but for i, I what i like to tell my listeners is something that is like when you when you you have to understand what your motivations are when you when you chant it's not it's it's like the most pure kind of 
motivated chanting is like when no one is telling you to do it, you're not obligated to do it. It's just like a very spontaneous thing. Of course, we have our, you know, we 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 promise our gurus certain things and things like that, like right. our 16 rounds and all. But 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 what I lo love about your story is that you that when you said that was your best kind of uh, japa session because it was just coming from a place of like it was just yeah. coming from a very sincere place yeah it was it almost like spilled out of my mouth like so when i when i started chanting it was because i had opened my mouth to say something else wow. the conversation i was having with god right I, I think i went to say something like you know whatever some sentence and i opened my mouth and it was like oh you know like <laughs> shot out of me and I was like what the heck what is this but um but you're right it, you know I never had you know like a taste for for chanting necessarily like I, I love kirtan right. and I've always been I've always been like a kirtania you know but right. um but you know with personal job I mean I did it because that was my obligation people yes. you know someone told me I have to do this you know 16 times a day and so I did it yeah. you know but it was never it was never like coming from the heart you know yeah and this this japa session was not like anything i had ever experienced you know it was so beautiful i didn't um you know even when i was like praying and talking with god it wasn't to me it wasn't krishna it wasn't like you know i, I wasn't envisioning like krishna like a blue mm -hmm. guy with a flute like i was just uh you know I, I wasn't really envisioning anything but i was just like talking to god and yeah, when I started chanting, it was it was almost like the conversation uh, had gone to the next level. Like like that that japa session was a conversation in itself, you know. And the maha mantra was like revealing a lot to me, and wow. and um, it uh, it was pretty amazing. And it and it yeah, it came out of nowhere, and it was the first time I really had have felt like a, an attachment to chanting and seen the strength of it. Obviously, you know, living in the temples, I, I had had periods of time where I'd seen the strength of chanting, but this was like, um, just super like, like, like real and, and, and raw to me. real and raw. Yeah. yeah. Almost like you had to go through all the 10 years that you left to come to this point where you were able to purely and sincerely appreciate it at that very moment. That makes it, like in my eyes that makes it worth it yeah well yeah i mean i definitely it definitely took the level of you know distance i had i created between myself and the movement to come back to the movement because you know you know i joined spontaneous i mean i joined voluntarily obviously but i think a lot of the reason i stayed in the movement even even you know towards the end when i was I was pretty lax in my own practice um, was because I had been so indoctrinated with like the outside world is, is horrible and it's everyone's Maya, you know? Mm. Uh, and so if, if you move out of the temple, you know, like, it, like I said, in the beginning of this interview, like uh, it was all or nothing back then. It was, you, you're either, you're either living in the temple and doing your thing or, or you're in Maya, you know? And, um, I wanted to be kept out of, you know, now I see you can live outside and you could be just as Christian conscious. I mean, I feel like now, you know, Christian consciousness is a lot more real to me. You know, it's, 
yeah I'm doing it because i want to do it you know and yeah exactly no one's telling me how to practice you know and um anyway so so when i made the decision that okay i'm, I'm gonna get back into this i spent a couple of weeks contemplating like how am i gonna properly engage myself because if i want to stay in this movement like i have to be i have to act according to my nature and that was never a thing i did when i was in the temple you know like right. Right. again I'm, I'm not a book distributor i've never been a proselytizer like I, I want you to, I want you to, you know, chant Hare Krishna, but I'm not going to like beat it into you, you know, I, right. you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the cow, I did some cow protection that that's nice. You know, that's kind of according to my nature now. But I mean, when I lived in the temple, I was, I was a city preacher, you know, and I wanted to just do like college preaching and, and stuff. And, you know, Pujari life, like, that's not me. I'm like, you know, I'm not an introvert and I'm not like, I mean, I love deities. That, that whole thing is great. Yeah. But it's just, it just wasn't my nature. I was never engaged according to my nature. So I started thinking about it and I'm like, how do I, you know, how do I do this? Like, what, what do I use? Like, what are my talents and my, and my skills and, and my interests, you know? So this is, this is, this is what you were thinking uh, after you contacted your guru after 10 years. And now your thought process was like, how do you fit into Krishna conscious. So how does Krishna conscious fit into your life again, but this yeah. time in a more real and in like kind of more way that's comfortable. Yeah. So my first conversation, my guru, I said, you know, I'm coming back to this. Um, I own, I own a restaurant. It's not, it's not like conducive to, you know, practicing Christian consciousness. There's karma involved in there. Yeah. What, what should I do? Do I, you know, so I, I ended up selling it. Um, and uh, at the same time, I, I sold my barber shops, but not that was just completely uh, coincidental. I, I had already been in talks to sell my my shops. Um, you sold all of them. Yeah, mainly because for one, I had that fear that you know my shops weren't going to do well now that now that I had been called out and you know my oh, reputation was going to be you know. So I, I, I started thinking like, how do I secure myself for the future? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had sold my shop. So basically, you know, I was left with like one, one restaurant, um, which, which I still have now. It's a vegetarian Jewish deli. Oh, wow. Um, interesting. But anyways, I started thinking like, how do I, you know, how do I properly engage myself? And what I've done in Portland over the past 13 years or so is build and brand businesses, you know? Yeah. And I, I was very successful at that. So I said, all right, well, I have that propensity to, you know, and, and the knowledge too, like the practical knowledge of how to start something, how to start and how to grow it. You know, I have, I, I have, you know, because of my other businesses, I have, a, you know, some following or whatever. So, you know, how can I engage all that in Krishna service? So, and we didn't have a temple here. So I said, all right, well, I should start a center as kind of my own personal debt of gratitude to Krishna for allowing me, because if anyone was not coming back to Krishna consciousness, it was me, you know? And so, um, so I figured, all right, I've, I've got the money, I've got the resources, I've got the time with the sale of my businesses and stuff, you know? So I started looking, initially I was just looking for like a place that, you know, we can gather. I, there's still a few devotees in town who, you know, scattered around town who were, who were, 
disciples of my first guru, you know, and yeah, um, they're, they're like, you know, walking on the edge of Christian consciousness. So I was like, what if I just found a little place that, you know, we could just meet once a week and chant, I started looking for that. And then because I'm kind of like a go big or go home type of guy, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just ended up like uh, I, I rented a place. I built out like a full commercial kitchen in wow. it. And um, I decided that I wanted to do like, a, you know, a real simple Prabhupada program of like Prasadam and Kirtan. That was, and that's going to be the focus of the center. So, and then I don't know if you had any other questions, but getting into. Um, no, continue. This is great. The center took off. Uh, yeah. You know, so I rented this spot. I stuck, you know, a, a pretty penny into it um and i mean i put a lot of like really nice details in it it's it's a nice center um krishna like took over and started he like sent he started sending people to me like out of nowhere this one this one devotee in town i didn't know this guy existed you know he's like a full you know full-on you know strictly practicing devotee and um he reached out to me on, on Instagram um, and offered, you know, help with the center. At the same time, he was also applying at my restaurant, like just <laughs> really? coincidentally, or I thought it was coincidentally. I didn't know this guy from anyone. Um, so I got this. So as I'm talking to him on Instagram, I get an email and it's his resume. And I noticed and I'm like, hey, did you also apply at? this place and he said yeah and i was like oh well, that's my place so i hired him <laughs> at the shop and he kind of became like my right hand guy at the bhakti center his name is donaraj and uh so you know i opened the temple i opened the center um how long ago was that so i opened on new year's day oh okay January pretty 1st. recently then yeah um I didn't really know how I was going to do anything like I, So my intention was I would just do everything myself. It, and I knew that it would be a burden. But again, I have this debt to Krishna that I owe. And like, so, so how can I pay him? How can I pay him for allowing me back, you know, to Krishna consciousness? And how can I serve Srila Prabhupada by using my, you know, using what I've got? Yeah. So yeah. I figured, all right, I'll do everything for a bit. I didn't know how to cook. That was never my service. My, my, my ex-wife is an expert cook. She did that in the temples, you know, but mm -hmm. I, I had never made any, I mean, I tried cooking halibut once and I used salt instead of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of that. So, you know, I'm not a cook and I figure how am I going to cook a, a feast? Cause I knew I wanted to do like a weekly Krishna feast. Right. Um, I love your I, posts by the way. Oh, thank you. Picture of the plate and stuff. I love that. Yeah. I don't know how they come out, man. I, I tell you, it's Krishna, like, he's cooking through me because I, I don't know what I'm doing. But I had my ex-wife. I asked my ex-wife. I said, can you come meet me at the center a week before we opened and just teach me, like, the basics, how to make, like, dal and halva. Wow. And, you know, she went through it with me. And, you know, we, we made, like, some garangas. And, mind you, it's all vegan, too, because I figured – Right. So I'm not vegan, but um, if I'm going to be serving prasadam and I want it accessible to everyone, it should be vegan, right? right. That way everyone right. can eat it. Right. Plus, how do you really preach like compassion 
ahimsa and you know we're supporting like factory farm you know right. so yeah so a week before I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to cook you know and then the day we open i cook i cook the feast and i you know i, I cook the feast every week now um for about 50 people and and it's always been great you know and and i think the reason it always comes out good is because i when i offer it you know i, I do the regular sanskrit prayers but to me that that doesn't mean so much you know i'm just going i'm just repeating you know i know the sanskrit by heart so i'm saying it nice. and you know i and i meditate on you know krishna accepting it but then i then i pray in english when i offer it and i say like you know would, will you please accept this offering so that other people who are coming can benefit from your mercy you know that's the only reason beautiful. for doing this beautiful give people your mercy and and he accepts it because it, it comes out good and um so yeah so that's kind of the program we do we have a weekly krishna feast every friday and it's just free and you know covid friendly we have like a plexiglass barrier up and and people walk up we hand them a a, a to-go box nice um we usually do like five preparations and we do everything from like you know your basic like iskan you know halava rice and dal to like barbecue yesterday we did like barbecue ribs <laughs> you know uh and mac and cheese and wow um you know we so we do barbecue we've done like a i made mole once like i'm making all these things i mean i've never cooked anything and and now i'm making like these you know like I'm fancy complex. things so we did yeah. like yeah i made lasagna one day so we we just mix it up you know and um you know, I dress the deities once a week. We we have some nice deities at the center. Um, and then we have a weekly kirtan night. And then we have like a, a yoga talk every Thursday with, with uh, Donna Raj, who I was talking about, my, my right-hand guy there. Yeah. Um, and now we have Monday yoga. We're working with this group in town doing yoga, like free yoga. So it's, it's really cool. And we've got, just in the short time we've been open, we've got like this nice core group of like you know six or seven devotees who are you know i mean they show up or they're in t-lock i mean they're more devotees than i i don't do any of that i don't wear t-lock you know yeah. or any any of it you know it's to me it's not necessary but right uh these kids are like they're just taking to christian consciousness there's been such a void for so long in portland yeah you know? and um and there's a lot of like older Prabhupada disciples in town too so they're all pretty stoked that it's happening, including Bhavananda's uh, ex-wife. She lives here in, in town. And so that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I think uh, my, my long-term goal with it is, you know, I'd like to purchase like a church building um, either that or, or some land just outside of town and, and do like a farm. Wow. Um, and, and maybe at some point, you know, if I want to get into more businesses, I could open up a Govindas, but I need, I need devotees here for that. There's not a lot of devotees in town. So, Right. You know. How do you maintain the how do you maintain the temple? Uh is it completely based upon your income? Oh, um yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean I'd like to say it's based on donations, but that's not true. Uh I think the prasadam pays for itself, you know, through donations, but yeah, yeah, yeah I pay I pay for it. I pay for the you know, the rent and the bills and everything. And and again, I just consider it my personal seva. So, you know, if I was if I was like a, a grahasta attached to a temple in town, I would probably be working and donating 
to that temple anyways. Right, right. So, um, yeah, so so I do that. Um, the, the ISKCON temple in Hillsborough here, like they're like an hour outside of town. Okay. They recently started giving me like a, a little monthly donation to help kind oh, of offset nice. the costs, you know. Very nice. Um, but we're, I, I think of Portland Bhakti Center as like an unaffiliated yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about it because I know we talked about it when we initially spoke. Yeah. It's not affiliated with ISKCON. And tell me a little bit about your thought process behind that. Um, well, because it's a bhakti center. So I want to embrace bhakti in, in all of its forms. I, I don't feel, you know, obviously I'm, I'm appreciative and thankful for ISKCON because none of us would be devotees without ISKCON having been born. But... Um, oh. You know, I don't feel an obligation one way or the other towards ISKCON or, or Gaudiamat or whatever. I mean, it's, I don't think we're a big enough movement to be dividing ourselves up into camps, you know? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and, and that was very much my, my first guru's mentality was, again, he was, you know, like, I didn't even talk to my friend who, who became an Arayama. I was just like, we didn't talk for years right. because, you know, I felt like, oh, everything outside of ISKCON is bogus, you know, and mm. that's bogus, mm. that, that thought process you know it's dangerous and um there's uh so yeah for me you know uh, it's just not about like the club mentality i don't i don't care one way or the other and it's yeah. not even about like again it's bhakti and bhakti is a process that has taken us i mean literally it's taken us billions of years to get to just to this point in bhakti yeah so my so my whole attitude towards it is i don't need you to come and chant 16 rounds and do every, you know, I'm not going to tell you to give this up and give that up. Like, I just want people to have access to, to do some service, to come to the temple or come to the center, you know, wash some pots or chant or do kirtan, whatever, and just have access to bhakti, you know, and, and have access to Krishna. And like, so I don't think there's, there's time to be, you know, concerning ourselves with this camp and that camp. And, you know, I, I'm not I'm not blind to the to the shortcomings of of ISKCON over the years. You know, yeah. Um, there, I have a lot of issues with a lot of things in ISKCON, and so um, while I support ISKCON as a as a as a as a vessel for bhakti, and you know, the largest international Hari Krishna organization, like I, I Vishnu has many arms. You know, it's what I always say. Like, so there's Iskan, there's Gaudiamat, there's Narayamaj, Chaprari, whatever. They're just different, you know, just different, different legs of the same, you know, branch. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was one, that was one kind of decision I made when I, when I thought that I would open up the center is that it's not going to, it's not going to belong to anyone. I like the mood uh what you're saying that you're just asking people to come and kind of just add krishna to their life whatever their life may be whatever they may be doing no not telling them well you need to give this up give that up that yeah. i would say that comes in my opinion comes much later but but initially when you want people to come to krishna consciousness just just kind of introduce them to the joy of yeah. service and chanting and things like that and i think that's something that we're missing right now and and you're filling that uh you know by you doing your little thing in in portland oregon i think that's so beautiful and i want everyone who's listening to to kind of like be exposed 
exposed to that. You know, it's possible to bring it back to the the old days and the kind of the pioneering times of Krishna consciousness where things are much easier, more uh, easy, not necessarily easier, but more, uh, I think, pleasurable in the sense of, of, of introducing people to Krishna consciousness and having a small group of devotees who yeah. can really kind of like connect with and, and just be your, be yourself and, and, and introduce people to Krishna consciousness and be devotees together. Right. I mean, Prabhupada never, you know, he didn't come and just start telling people like, Oh, give this up and give that up. I mean, for, for what, like right. the first couple of years, like no one even had <laughs> shaved their head or, you know, I mean, you know, I was reading that story recently in a uh, miracle on second Avenue. Yeah. Where Shama Sundar is like carving Jagannath, Lord Jagannath, and there's like a cigarette sitting on. on right. The yes. I mean, Prabhupada was super liberal in that way, you yes. know. And then when obviously when people wanted to take more seriously to it, he said, "Okay, well, you have to give this up and this up," you know. But what? What? Who would join? Like, I would have never. Well, actually, I knew the principles before I moved into the temple because Tara had explained them to me. But I thought he was crazy. With it, like, I'm not gonna. If I come to a temple and someone's like, you know, you're a 20 year old guy, and someone's like, yeah, you should give up like sex attraction and you know, all this stuff. I mean, I was already vegetarian, anyways, from like yes. 13, but you know, it, it's not. I mean, I don't think Christian consciousness is about what you give up, it's about what it's about what you add to your life, and you know, yeah, yeah, and so, uh. If people want to take that up, I mean, we have to understand that this is a voluntary movement, you know, yeah. and my training in Christian consciousness was very much the opposite. It was, you know, you, you live in the temple. You, I understand living in the temple because, you know, you're living monastically and you're relying on the temple for sustenance and maintenance. And so, yeah, you owe them something, yeah. you know, so you do your, your share of the work, but, but, you know, I, I have to keep this in mind constantly because it's, the old ways, you know, they, they die hard. Like the other mm -hmm. day, for example, my right hand guy, Donaraj, he, he was telling me that, um, because of some other obligations he has, uh, he can't put quite as much time into the center as he was in the beginning. Yeah. No problem. You know, but my initial reaction was like, Oh, well, you're abandoning your duties. Yes. Like better to do your duty, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm trying to preach him like that. And he had to remind me that it's a voluntary movement. Like, yeah. And that was always that was always lost on me. Like when I when I lived in the temples, it, nothing was voluntary. You just did what you did, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's pretty important to remember that. And like these people that are coming to the temple, they're special souls, you know. Like, and who who am I to tell them, you know, oh, don't do this or give this up? I mean, they they were have probably been devotees longer than I have. Mm. You know, I mean, we have people, we have this one uh this one girl who can't, who comes to the temple clearly was a devotee in her last life. Like no, no question. Right. You know, she just, she, the like philosophy in the water. with her. She's, she's only been coming around for like a few weeks. She's like in Tilak and you know, she's offering all of her food and it's just, it's pretty cool to see, you know? And I think people get burnt out when, when, when you want to like, you know, start adding all these, I just want to keep it simple. Like, yeah, a couple older Prabhupada disciples have come to the temple, the center, and they they said that it's very reminiscent of like 26 Second Avenue, mm, you know, or small storefront. I could only imagine after COVID when we could actually have like rows of people sitting on the floor taking prasad, like 
Oh, wonderful. That would be it's nice. It's going to be super cool, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you, um, how do you how do you not feel any bitterness or any kind of resentment or maybe you do but but in your attitude that I that I'm interacting with you right now I don't feel that from you where where you went through so like you many went through so many years of your young life and you and and you sacrificed so much for 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 Iskon for the temple and you you feel you know I would feel like I lost some of those years you know and and you said you wanted to make some of that back when you when you had left and things like yeah. how do you not feel that bitterness um i mean I well, think maybe I, you do i don't want to put i don't want to put words sure. in your mouth but i certainly felt that bitterness you know w when i had decided to leave the movement um i can't hold a grudge it's like you know we, we we're all we're all dumb you know we've all done stupid things and i know that some of the the things that that happened that caused me to leave um, you know, again, I just, I just keep in mind that it's not the philosophy itself. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't have bitterness towards like, yeah, I resent that my, that my guru abandoned us and, you know, wasn't following the, like my entire time being initiated by him, you know, he wasn't following the principles. He wasn't chanting. I never saw him chant, you know, and I just figured right. like, well, he's, you know, it's because he's with Krishna and his mom, you know, whatever. But I, there is resentment there, but yeah, but I, I can't let that dictate or, 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 you know, I can't let that rule me and my approach to Christian conscious. I mean, our philosophy is second to none, right? So there's no issue there. Yeah. And Prabhupada was, was a perfect spiritual authority. And so while I've had, while I've had spiritual authorities go rogue and, you know, uh, not, uphold their end of the bargain like it doesn't and, and ultimately you know nothing happens without krishna right like in an ultimate sense like nothing no, we can't say a word without without krishna you know yeah uh you know uh, pulling the strings and so what happened happened you know and it was i just i have to look at it like that what why hold resentment i mean it's the same as the people that have called me out for my past behavior while they're 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 absolutely right for calling me out because they were affected by my behavior um but they can't let my behavior you know control and dictate their future so and or i would hope that they they don't right and so in the mm -hmm. same way like i can't hold you know other people accountable for my own my own fall down you know like it was, mm -hmm. it was my fault ultimately you know so but there is but i do have resentment there there is you know again i'm not blind to the stuff that went on in iscon and the way people have been treated and and uh, you know the changes that need to take place um mm. so instead of like resenting and and, and you know har harboring these like ill thoughts and 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 living in the past i i'm more concerned with how i can affect change in our movement moving forward you know it's it just seems to be more productive to do that to, you know, how can I make the movement better? Yeah, you, whatever sphere of influence you have in your own little, you know, in your in your kind of circle, that's how you can become positive, how you can positively affect people instead of living in the past and living with negative thoughts and stuff. That's that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's... Even my first guru, I talked to him now. You know, we... we really? We've reconciled. Sure, you know, we... 
he's reached out to me a couple times over the years and I was like, yeah, whatever. But, um, yeah, we talked, you know, we talked a couple months ago. I mean, again, I think he's actually like a great devotee, you know, and like he's still, yeah. he still travels and preaches, you know, I don't know. I have mixed feelings, you know, when I see him up on the Vyasas, I'm giving a class, you know, but, but the way I look at it is again, it's taken us billions of years to get where we are to expect that any of our gurus are without a single fault or, you know, human trait. It's, it's just not realistic. And, you know, so maybe he shouldn't have been a guru. That's all right. Still, right. he's a great preacher. He's made thousands of devotees. He's our program that we had was dynamic. We made tons of devotees. He inspired so many people. He's a pro he, he loves Prabhupada. So what's wrong with him, you know, continuing to inspire people and preach Christian consciousness? Just don't be a guru. Like if you have a problem yeah. with it, if you have an issue with the principles and you can't follow <laughs> it, just don't be a guru. Right, you right. Know? But I mean, we, you know, we have gurus in our movement that have admittedly like fallen down from the, and then there's still gurus. So, mm. you know, I, I don't I don't really see a problem with it. And so and so in that sense, I can't resent him either for for that. I mean, I fell down too. So how could I blame him? You know, yeah. like we're, we're, we're humans and we're practicing a strict monastic life that for all intents and purposes goes against our nature. You know, I mean, you take these 20 year old kids and, you know, you're telling them to basically suppress all these natural, you know, human emotions and desires and whatever, but instead they should just be engaged properly. I think the movement now it's far better, you know, uh, in, in its current state than it was because it's largely, uh, a non-monastic movement. Mm, now, yeah, you know, and you're, so, so I think people are being more properly engaged, you know, it's, there's no, you know, since I've come back, I, I don't hear a whole lot of talk about like carmies and, you know, <laughs> Maya and this and that just, they're, you know, some of the, the biggest devotees in our movement, uh, are, you know, they live outside, they, they have their families and, right, right. and that's great. But, you know, that wasn't really an option when I joined, it was kind of like even Grahasta's even grahasas who lived in the temple were still like, yeah, they're not brahmacharis. They only became grahasas because they couldn't follow the principles. You know, that's kind of how I was trained. And it, Gosh. it's kind of ridiculous. It's so, a different time period. Yeah, different time period. And um, yeah, I really like the direction of the movement is going since I've come back. I mean, for one, kirtan is absolutely crazy now. Mm, the right. best kirtan we had, when I left, the best kirtan out there was like, you know, Kadabakana Swami had like just kind of stepped on the scene as like he had, <laughs> he had just started taking disciples. Wow. You know, and uh, in fact, Parthasarati, I think, was like one of his first disciples there. Right. Um, you know, and that was like as good as it got. Uh, you know, Bhakti True Swami, I think he had some, he had like a nice CD or tape out. You know? Yes, yes. I remember. But um, now, I mean, you listen all just all this stuff, you know, shoot the gopi, like just all these, like, I mean, Kirtan is, is amazing now. It's, and so I love it. And, yes. and the movement as a whole, it's just, it's becoming more progressive, you know, which I think is a necessary, it's like, even if you don't have, even if you personally don't have a, a progressive agenda, even if you're a conservative or whatever, you still have to accept that the only way you could move forward is through progress, you know, and through 
yeah. having a progressive agenda. Like even, even when I was like, you know, a strict devotee and I considered myself politically conservative, yeah, which I don't anymore. I'm the furthest thing from it. But when I was politically conservative, I still supported a lot of progressive like laws because that's how you're going to move forward as society. You're not going to, right. You know, you can't move forward by holding on to tradition. You know, you have mm. to embrace change, you know? So we're in a completely different time, place and circumstance now than we were when Prabhupada was around or, or shortly after, or even in the nineties, you know, it's just, it's a different time. Something I'm appreciating about what you're saying is, and about this whole story was that you kind of became your authentic self and then Krishna, and then you added Krishna consciousness again to that. And I think that's yeah. what a lot of devotees struggle with is, is becoming their authentic self because there was so much kind of social pressure to do, to, to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way. Uh, then that kind of hinders your like, that hinders your like natural, what you naturally are. So for our listeners, what would you recommend our listeners to do to become their more authentic self with Krishna consciousness? Yeah, totally. No, that, <clears throat> that is a good point. And, and I do feel like that with, with myself, like, you know, my leaving for 10 years, it was almost necessary for me to, you know, because again, I joined Krishna consciousness. I was like 18 years old. I, who, who, who are you at 18? You know, I didn't know who I was, what my nature is, you know, and, and I wasn't allowed to experience that until I had moved out. Right. And so I think that that long hiatus was kind of necessary for me to fi figure out what my strengths are so that we can have a center here. Like mm. if I did, hadn't become a brand builder and a business developer, like I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't have the resources to, to do what I'm doing here. So I think for, for people in general, um, you know, any, anything could be used in Christian conscious. Like we were talking recently about, uh, someone had asked, um, you know, how, how you can engage, uh, how you can use like a certain instrument or whatever in Christian conscious. Like, how do you use like a, like a turntable or a mixer or whatever in Christian consciousness, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about how there's nothing spiritual, intrinsically spiritual about a harmonium or a mordunga. Right. They're made out of the same thing a guitar is made out of. I mean, they're right. wood and metal and whatever, but they're only spiritual because you're using them to do kirtan. So it's not like we have to look for outside of ourselves for what we can, we have the tools, right? Like whatever you're doing now, if you're not a devotee or if you're, you know, or if you're a devotee and you're trying to figure out like how to, you know, how to, how to serve, like yeah. you, you can do whatever you're doing. Like, like a, like a Govinda's restaurant wouldn't be spiritual by nature, but because it has prasadam, it's a spiritual restaurant. It's no different right. than another restaurant. Right. You know, so I think, um, uh, for people to, uh, I, I think suppressing your, your nature is a bad idea. You know, right. um, so some people are, are built for that. Some people are, are, are you know, are, uh, are programmed to, you know, maybe to be a brahmachari or, or be a, a sannyasi or whatever, but people that aren't, there's no, no problem. Like, mm. 
you know, you could be just as Christian conscious by using whatever your God given talents are, you know, or whatever you've been doing in your life. Um, yeah. You can engage that in service. Like, you know, I, I essentially did the same thing building out the center as I did building out my restaurant. I, I was the same process, the mm. same licensing process, but one of them is, is spiritual and one of them's not, you know? Right. Actually, even my restaurant now is spiritual because we're offering the food and everything. But oh, wonderful. The Jewish, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the yeah, deli. Wow, very cool. But um, yeah, I, I just encourage anyone to like, you know, you know, you don't have to look like I, I saw recently someone had uh, someone on my social media. They like moved to India because they and they had posted that, you know, I just don't feel like I could be Christian conscious without like completely being surrounded by devotees all the time. And that's important. Devotee association is super important, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, th there's nothing. I mean, you could be Christian conscious and not live in India. You know, it's just, yeah. so, so I, I think people should just do what they're doing you know as long as it's favorable but you know find a way to um to tie that into christian consciousness you know like there's so many devotee musicians out there doing stuff that i'm seeing and and like that's that's all they're doing you know they they live outside they work a normal job whatever but they they have this talent and so they're using it yeah glorify krishna you know yeah I think I think a lot of you know devotees I talk to they struggle just with um, kind of becoming them their more authentic self. Yeah, and and I think that's what you're saying is is very you know you just have to like you can't suppress your who you are. Right. Like that's just gonna that's just gonna make you go backwards, or you're just gonna feel like yeah you're just gonna come completely go the other way because it's like it's like you're pulling a rubber band you know and it's and it's it's eventually you're gonna have to let go and it's yeah, gonna go it's the gonna other way at some point yeah it's gonna yeah, snap and, yeah and that's and that's the problem that's why i mean how many how many brahmacharis and brahmacharinis just how many people joined in the 80s and 90s that aren't around now or that aren't you know practicing brahmacharya or whatever like it's because you know we suppressed ourselves and I, that's why i think that having a non-monastic movement like a largely non-monastic movement as we are nowadays yeah it's it's a little more practical you know because people already know what their nature are you know like people are getting into christian conscious they already know you know who they are what what they like what they know how to do and then they come to christian conscious they could apply that but yeah when you when you join and you just move into the temple and right away you have to give up everything and you have to do this job and that job. I mean, like I said, my entire time in the temples, I was never engaged, but according to my nature, you know, and I think that's like super important to understand like what, what your nature is. I mean, and you have, you see that a lot with like devotees. There's, there tends to be like, there's a lot of devotee businesses, a lot of like money is generally not like a uh, very great with, you know, with devotee, like financial, yeah, totally. <laughs> because, you know, and, and you see that just even outside of devotional life, like just in entrepreneurship in general, Yeah, a lot of people, they try to start a business, they, they start it and they fail because, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not there. It's not who they are, you know, like yeah. not everyone's cut out to own a business. Just like I have to own a business because I can't work for anyone because yeah. I'm a bad employee. Right. Like, you know, I'm going to break the rules, whatever they are. So I understand that. And so yeah. even, even not as a devotee, I understood that that was my nature is to, 
mm. you know, it, like engage in that way. And so if now if I can use it in Christian consciousness, and that's why it, our center is being successful, you know, because I, I know what I'm doing with that. And also the way you kind of lead devotees now, I'm sure is so much more different than the way you were led. You're engaging people according to their propensity and their right. nature. And, and if someone's like, I don't know about that, I, I, you're not going to, you're not going to be like, oh no, you have to do this. You're going to say, okay, I mean, do what you, you know, this is like a, is that how you're running it now? In the sense of, in the sense of how you engage people. Oh yeah. Um, people come. <clears throat> You know, I don't even try to like go out of my way to engage people in service because that could also be, I mean, that's what we want to do is engage people in service, but that could be, that could be taken as also like pressure, you know, like, mm. like if devotional service, you, you're going to make advancement anyways, if you do service, even against your will, you're still doing, <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> but don't we want people to choose to serve Krishna? Like, so right. when people come, I'm not asking them, Hey, can, would you mind going in the kitchen and washing some pots? But I wait until they ask, like, is there something I could do? And I say, yeah, go in the kitchen and wash some pots. Yeah. And now we have people, they show up and they ask, like, oh, is there anything that needs to be done in the kitchen? Or can I help serve out or whatever? Wow. And if it's coming from that genuine place, like, it's, I think it's going to be more because it's all about intention. You know, you could be a brahmachari living in the temple and reluctantly chanting your rounds and reluctantly going out on Sankirtan while you're, you know, looking at you know the pretty girl walking by or whatever like <laughs> and, and how many brahmacharis have been in that position oh yeah you no know, but you're doing it because they're telling like again i was never meant to be a, a sangerton devotee and all i would do when i was out on sangerton i mean I, I you know i distribute books but you know i was just like i was engaged and just like checking people out I'm like oh yeah the, these people seem like they're having fun like i wouldn't mind doing that you know right right and I just shouldn't have been a brahmachari when it comes down to it. Like it just wasn't, wasn't my nature. I mean, for a bit it was, you know? Yeah. And it's good training. I do believe that that's a necessary part. I think the monastic branch of our movement is necessary. Like every religion has that, Yeah. but you know, most religions, they don't, you know, any of the world religions, you don't just join it and then boom, you, you become a monk, you know, like, you know, look, most Catholics aren't, you know, friars. They're, they're, just They're normal lay people. Lay, you know? lay yeah. 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 So in that sense, I understand the need for us having been a largely monastic movement in the beginning because we were building a worldwide movement. Like it, it made sense, you know, yeah. but I think now it's a different, it's a different time. I think we have to, I think, you know, our movement has to recognize what we've done, our faults and our, our, you know, our shortcomings and, and rectify them and move on and, and, you know, move on better. I mean, you see that happening a lot. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff has come to light in the past few years about stuff that's gone on in the movement. I think it's great. I think just like when I was called out for being a jerk, I was super crushed by it and it was horrible, but now I can look at it in hindsight as a blessing. Like, yeah. For one, even just not from a devotional point of view, but just to have been part of that process, I feel like I'm 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 glad to have been part of because that's necessary as a society for us to you know call out our our you know abusers or whatever and and uh, you know hold them accountable. So I, I'm I'm glad that I could take part in that. I, I wish not as the <laughs> not as the one who's being called out. I wish that yeah. was different, but yeah, but, you know it was for but 
Christian conscious wise, you know, it was a blessing. I would not have come back to Christian consciousness without it. I mean, I would have one way or another, obviously, but yeah, you know, it was necessary for me. So in that sense, I, I think it's good. So I, I think if, if, you know, ISKCON would, would just acknowledge the things that have happened. I mean, you see it changing a lot. You know, we have now we have Vaishnavi gurus, which is great. You know that I don't know why that didn't happen in the beginning. I do know why, but right. it shouldn't have happened in the beginning. You know, I mean, and a lot of that happened because of this false suppression that we're talking about. Right. Like you had all these 18 year old boys, you know, you're joining the movement. You're you were, you know, expected to suppress your attraction to women and so what did we do we villainized women right and because what what easier way is there to reject something than to hate that thing right you know so that's what we did and mm-hmm. but and it, it and it really had a horrible effect on our movement and a lot of yeah. people's spiritual lives got destroyed by it now i see that we're we're coming into it we're you know we're, we're kind of finally like fixing the problems and you know there's a lot of work that needs to be done but it you know, I think we're moving in the right direction. What is your, um, what are your children like now? They must be teenagers. Yeah. My oldest is 19. Oh, wow. She's a journalism major in college. And, uh, my other, my youngest two are, I have a 13 year old boy and a 15 year old girl. And, and it's interesting for them, you know, with the whole leaving thing, my oldest was born, you know, her first year of life was when we lived in Germany. At oh, the temple, wow. you know, and um, yeah, yeah. she doesn't remember that because she was a baby, but she remembers us moving back and, you know, or after we moved back, she remembers going to the temple. They all have, you know, devotee names, you right. know, and um, oh, nice. but uh, they, after our first one, like by the time we left, I think our middle child was like five or, you yeah. know, six. She has a couple memories. Our, our son has no memory of it. Mm. And, you know that's kind of upsetting to me. Like in, in a sense, I failed them like that, you know, like it was my, it was my responsibility to raise them Christian conscious. And we, I didn't, um, you know, and so it's hard to, you know, I'm not going to go like preach to them now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, by the way, we should do even for my partner. It's, it's very hard because we started, when we got together. I wasn't a devotee. You know, she didn't know me in this light, even though I spent oh over oh, half my you. life as a devotee. <laughs> For her, this is just a new thing. And she's like, whoa, you're taking on this new religion. And, and you know, when I first got back into it, I have to admit, I, I was a little fanatical. I think it was, you know, like, I mean, one day I'm not a devotee. The next day I'm, I'm getting ready to open a center, <laughs> you know, like, because again, it's all or nothing for me, you know? Right, right. And um, so she's like, all right, well, I understand you wanting to take on a little bit of this practice, but now you're you know, running a center and like, you know, your offer, you won't let me touch the food before you offer it. And I've got deities in the house. And wow. You know, um, even though it's, this is a return to my old self. It's not the op. It's not like I'm taking on something. Yeah, but new. she didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even within Krishna consciousness, I've taken on different identities because I had a different name initially when I was, you know, through my first guru. Yeah. And I, I, when I was reinitiated, my name changed. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, with my kids, you know, I mean, things are cool. They, I think my oldest, you know, be, I think because of some of the things that, that me and, and my, and my ex-wife have told her about, you know, some of the, you know, some of the abuse that my ex-wife experienced in the Brahmacharini ashram and, 
you know, I certainly experienced some, um, I mean, I got punched in the face once by my Bacta leader oh my God. For, for, for asking, for just saying why. All I said was why when he told me something. Oh my Lord. Boom, punch me in the face. So, you know, so she's not, you know, and my daughter's very intelligent and, you know, she's almost 20. I mean, she's not dumb. And so she, you know, she has her, her opinion of course, of it, but you know, shouldn't hate it or anything, you know, and I think the longer, the more time that goes on now with me taking this, she sees that, you know, since I've taken back to Christian consciousness, I'm changing a lot of my ways of like, you know, being a jerk to people, you know, right. I'm being more empathetic and more, you know, um, just more, more understanding of, of people and um, kinder, you know, less mm. and stuff. And so she, she sees that, I hope. Entrepreneurship is interesting to me. Um, I'm interested to know, are you less ambitious now in the sense of like, like I know you, your kids are older and things like, but to maintain yourself and to live a, a you know, prosperous life and things like that, are you less ambitious now that you've come back to Krishna consciousness and you're practicing yeah. and you feel yourself less yeah, ambitious? That, that is a good question. Actually. I hadn't even thought about that, but, but I could see how that would happen. Because we're we're constantly, and I don't know so much nowadays how people are trained, but I know when I was trained, you know, everything outside of Christian consciousness was horrible. Yeah. So that would mean that my, you know, doing business or interacting with non-devotees, that was horrible. And and so yeah. if I would have done this back then, I, I definitely see how I would become less ambitious because all I want to aspire for is to be a great devotee. Yeah. You know? So now having you know coming back into the movement and understanding you know who i am and what my nature is um no i'm no less ambitious in fact i'm more ambitious because really i need, I need to support the center you know? <laughs> oh that's I'm right for everything man so <laughs> right so, right um and my business is right now it's like uh it's it's going through like a like a huge boost right now like we're we're pretty big in the vegan community now and so oh, okay we're kind of taking off even more um, now in the in the restaurant yeah in the restaurant oh, okay and you know and the center is starting you know the word's starting to get out about that so no i think i'm more ambitious i mean it's our duty very interesting you know uh, yeah the, just this whole like this whole false renunciation it, you know that's not me i'm not a renunciate you know and nice. uh so yeah that, that is a good question though I, I i could see a lot of people going that route or being yeah, being less ambitious because, you know, they just want to please Guru and Garanga, you know, <laughs> not not be like practical people, you know. Right. Um, I I I am ambitious in 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 certain way for businesses and things. Uh, and an astrologer told me in my past lives I was a renunciate. So in this life, huh. I'm having trouble like trying, to, like kind of reconciling having that desire to be yeah. have money and to be ambitious but at the same time uh having these past lives of renunciation so it's I'm, i've, I've kind of have to like give up that and and yeah. try to you know do that anyway yeah christian consciousness i think helps you with that. even even in the height of my success and my material fervor um you know i i wasn't necessarily attached to for me it was more about you know making like like attaining the things, right? Making things happen and buying, being able to buy this car or that or whatever. But it, 
it wasn't necessarily the items I was attached to. Like I always had, like when I had a bunch of businesses and I was doing all this, I was driving a Range Rover or like a Jaguar, you know, <laughs> every six months I had a different car. I had all these things, but I don't think my attachment was necessarily to the things. Okay. It was to, it was to my ability to get the things. I see. You know? Um, and I think probably because I lived as a, as a, you know, a devotee in the temple and everything, I, I, I didn't have that attachment to, mm. you know, materials even now, like I, you know, I, I still make money and like I have business and, you know, but I'm not necessarily attached to those things. I just like making things happen. Yeah. You know? Even the center. And, and another thing about realizing your nature is like, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with your nature. Like, so for example, for me, I'm not that great with people. I understand that about myself. Like yeah. I can come off very like intimidating and like aggressive and kind of be a jerk. Um, but I'm very good at like pulling strings and making stuff happen. Right. So I open the center, but then my guy, Donna Raj, he's very like, you know, he's a loving kind guy. He likes, he, he cares about like relationships with devotees and how they're doing. So I put him in charge of that. I was like, you, you be the community outreach coordinator, you know, and yeah. you deal with the people. I'm just going to make the center go and I'll do Kirtan and like, I'll build it up, you know, but yeah. like, but I, but I understand that about my, even when I was a barber, like I stopped after a while, I stopped cutting hair and I just owned the shops because having me in the shop was actually detrimental to my business <laughs> <laughs> because my nature is not like, I'm not the most likable guy. My, yes. my most likable quality is that I'm a Hare Krishna devotee. I think that's my most likable trait. So, you know, so I could do that with the center and then, I, and then, and then it also helps me engage people according to their nature. Right. So by, uh, you know, Donna Raj, you're very nice with people. So you deal with them. I'm not going to deal. I with think them. that's using your entrepreneur qualities to, yeah. To, yeah, it's some one of the things is like if you don't know how to do it, don't try, don't like fake it and try to do it. Actually, put the person who's meant to be doing those things in that position, and oh. then your business will succeed or whatever yeah, you're trying to do will skills. succeed. Yeah, and Prabhupada was expert at that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which devotees were able to, you know, travel to this country and to open, you know, and just start Christian consciousness there. You know, he didn't just send like any random you know, Bakta, like, okay, you move to Russia and you go do this, you know, like he yeah. engaged people properly. Yeah. It's like that. I mean, I wouldn't have learned that in the temple. I mean, I was a Bakta leader uh, or temple president for like a, a, a hot minute. And, um, <laughs> and all I did was like, not, you know, nothing, like just make people feel bad about themselves probably, you know, like <laughs> I didn't, I didn't engage, you know, yeah, it was just like a power trip for me. I didn't engage people. Now I'd probably be a decent person in that role because i i understand how to like engage people totally it'd be more than decent it'd be great it'd be great um let's look at we're, we're running low on time here but let's yeah. look at uh the comment section because a lot of devotees are sending their appreciation oh. here and uh some questions as well um let's see okay here our friend raghav pundit rob ellings great story i can relate a lot uh, Mohan Prabhu says, thank you very much for your service, Prabhuji. While we don't recognize enough, if we are experiencing freedom, it's because of sacrifice of people like you for the country and ISKCON. So some appreciation there. Uh, John V. Harrison says, Nam is ecstatic at this entrepreneurial success. When you're telling your story, I was, this is from, uh, this is from, um, maybe like an hour ago. These, I, didn't, I don't get to the comments until later. Uh, what an interesting life. 
Um, uh, Matura asked a question for later. What are your views on death? Hmm. Do you want me to answer that? Go, please. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I have your typical Hare Krishna views on death. You know, I mean, uh, no one wants to die. I mean, Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj was a very good uh, example of that. You know, like he wrote a lot about that when he was basically on his deathbed, you know. Right, right, right. And he explained how it's a very natural human emotion to be like afraid of death. Even if you're situated in Christian consciousness, it's, it's the unknown, you know, and everyone's scared of that. I mean, so I mean, my views on death, I mean, I, I'm going to die. I hope that, you know by doing this little service of, you know, this Portland Bhakti Center or something like that, then I could be situated. I have a pretty different view on like what is required to get back to Godhead, you know, like, you know, I, and I, I don't know if there's like speculation or whatever, but I don't think we need to be like on Prabhupada's level. I don't think we need to be like an Uttama Adhikari, like, and that's the only way we can get back to Godhead. I mean, look at some of these people that Prabhupada himself acknowledged went back to Godhead, right? Like Jayananda and Vishnu Jhana. Yeah. I mean, they were around yeah. for what? Like a few years before they left their body, you yeah. know? But they, because they were so engaged in service and because Jayananda, like, you know, had organized Ratyatra and like had, you know, had served the devotees and served Prabhupada, Prabhupada said he went back to Godhead. It's not that, mm. you know, it, I mean, I don't know what level Jayananda was, you know, but you know, it's not that we have to be, I think it's just, it's, it's all about intention. So if we engage, if we dedicate our life to serving Krishna and serving Prabhupada, like, I think that's enough, you know, to, yeah. to Beautiful. help, at least to help get us back to Godhead. So, Thank you know, you. hopefully, I don't know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, Raj Prabhu is actually listening. You're a great listener, Namras Prabhu. You're drawing this amazing story with very reflective questions. Thank you very much. Hey, that's uh, that's Dhanaraj who I was talking about. Right. Also, Govardhan Prabhu's experience makes him sound like an 80-year-old. How does someone fit all of that into a decade? That's true. I mean, how do you fit oh, that? Like into... with the businesses and stuff. Yeah, just everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I have a good work ethic, and I, you know, I got that actually from like being a brahmachari and from being in the army. They both require like totally an insane amount of discipline, and you know, so I'm kind of focused like that. If I want to do something, like I'm going to do it you know, and I'm not going to get right. stopped. So, but also Donna, I paid Donna Raj 20 bucks to, to that <laughs> <before> the <show. laughs> look and see how Krishna removes all the stops and makes the difficult so possible for those who try. Yeah. Good point. Um, Michael Eper, this story. Wow. So inspiring. Johnny Harrison again. Wow. This is so moving. Thank you so much for sharing with us with honesty and vulnerability. Yeah. I, I mean, we didn't touch on that at all, but thank you for being vulnerable with your story. I mean, that's, uh, and, and for everyone who's hearing, they can all benefit from it. Uh, beautiful history. Thank you so much for sharing so much real talk. So very much inspiring. Uh, Donna Kaylee Dasi says, is Mahabala Prabhu still in Portland? We first gave him a Bhagavad Gita when he was a student at IL St. Uh, university in 1996, he gradually became initiated devotee in Portland. Do you know this devotee? I don't know a Mahabala. There's a Brihadbala. I don't know if the name got, you know, messed up in translation or whatever. But um, I'm not familiar with the Mahabala. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was here in no, I was I was not here in 96 yet. Anyways, okay, I was here in 98. So 
Babita says, we think you're a great cook. Babita's the, the wife of the temple president in Hillsborough here, like an hour. Oh, okay. She is a great cook. So that's, I think that's just a joke. You know? uh, <laughs> you she's pretty yeah. amazing. Rachira says, go for the farm. She's actually a pro disciple who has a huge farm in Alachio with many cows. So yeah. that's nice to hear yeah, that. Maybe she we can to... discuss that at some point. Maybe she yes, can yes, help you with that. Um, we are so also unqualified anyway. So much truth in all of this. This was at the time when we were uh, discussing that. Uh, oh yeah, Jerry. No time for to be concerned with this camp or that. When you when uh, just mm -hmm. giving buck, giving access to Bhakti. The one you're talking about that. These podcasts are so nice. Every time we meet so many interesting people with different views. Thank you, Namras Prabhu. Thank you. Uh, you know for our guests who who actually say some amazing things this is so nice thanks for inviting okay this is from cap this is a great mood and attitude burnout is such a danger and it's great to understand it where are you personally drawing your inspiration and re-energizing from now as this change settles great point i mean yeah. i think that what came really came out in this interview about refinding yourself and your true self and and, and then connecting that with krishna beautiful yeah did you want me to answer that where am i finding my inspiration from yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you can. Yes. Well, obviously, Shula Prabhupada. I mean, you know, Prabhupada said that uh, those who risk the most in Christian consciousness are rewarded the most. You know, in the in the um, the 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 rhinoceros hunter analogy, right? That uh, you know, he wants his disciple, he wants his devotees to be rhino hunters, right? If you hunt for a rhinoceros, no one could fault you if you don't catch it because no one catches right. a rhino. But if you catch it, right, then that's a great success. So, I feel like. Um, taking on like the burden of you know and the austerity of like having the center and everything it's it's very purifying for me and and it's very humbling actually like the people that come to the center like i i very much see krishna's hand in it and that i'm not actually doing any of this you know so so that gives me a lot of inspiration knowing that krishna like krishna's so reciprocal i mean you know it's funny we talk about krishna as a supreme person right and we, we tell people that when we're talking to people on the street and they're like, oh, how could, you know, how could Krishna be this or that? And we, we tell everyone how, you know, even we as limited people were, were approachable in many different, from many different angles, you know, but, but Krishna, who's unlimited, like, I think devotees tend to limit him too. Like, like we could just have conversations with Krishna, like we're, like we're having, like, why can't yeah. we do that? Krishna's Paramatma, you know? Yeah. Like, so I find that inspiration a lot is how Krishna, like, directly takes charge or, or you know pulls strings um also you know Prabhupada I take a lot of inspiration also from like Hridayananda Maharaj I listen to a lot of his uh you know his his talks lately yeah. um probably more than anyone I just I really like his view on like how we're going to move forward as a as a movement right and um I, I like his like liberal nature I, I very much feel like that too like you know, again, like I don't do a lot of the things that devotees do, you know, I don't really wear tilak. I mean, maybe if I go to the temple, I'll wear tilak. But like, yeah, when when I first opened the center that Iskand had put out an article about the center and, it, you know, I had a picture of me offering arti to the deities and I was wearing like jeans and a hoodie <laughs> and like they were clean. But, you know, I got a little bit of flack for that. <laughs> that oh, oh, you're not wearing devotional dress. And just that that's a whole other topic. But the, the yes. whole idea of this like devotional this external devotional appearance of devotees, like it, it doesn't concern me. I have, it's it's so interesting that 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 
you know, for someone who left and now who has re-entered, like, why would that concern you? It wouldn't because you, you have seen kind of what the outside is like. And now you were accepting as, as much Krishna consciousness as you want to take, right. you know, in a very sincere way. So like, if, if, if you don't wear a dhoti or do wear a dhoti, like it, for you personally, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, what does it matter? Like, like. <laughs> But but does everyone you know for for everyone to come to that kind of sincere to come to their true self like do we have to go through what you went through like how do we get to that point of our sincere true nature without kind of having gone on the outside yeah. and seen what it is yeah. it's, it's a very tricky thing yeah it is I mean I think it's understanding the essence of you know prob like what Prabhupada wanted I mean you look at Bhakti Siddhanta he made all kinds of concession. Right. Christian consciousness. He had his sannyasis wearing Western clothes and traveling in cars. Right. And I mean, what? Who's really practicing? I don't know a single brahmachari ever who's worn a deerskin loincloth and carried a copper pot. You know, <laughs> it's just it's not what we do. And like, so, you know, the, uh, you know, with, and I also from 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 having left, I, I, I'm also able to see how outsiders view us, right. and that helps with my approach to outsiders. Like. For example, I, I like wearing dhotis and I, I like devotional dress. There's no, yeah. you know, yeah. but I don't do it because no one in Portland is walking around in a dhoti and a korta. So if I'm the sole guy walking around in, in a dhoti, <laughs> all I'm telling people is that, oh, I'm not one of you. Like, right. you know, you can't right. relate to me. Like, I'm different. We're different. And yes. I want people to see that Krishna is accessible to everyone. You know, I mean, the only reason that people ever wore dhoti and korta anyways is because they were Indian. Like in India, they were dhoti and korta. Right. You know, like that's why that became devotional dress. But, you know, I want people to see that however you are, whatever state you're in, you could approach Krishna. I mean, sure, you want to be clean. You know, like I wear clean clothes when I go and dress, dress the deities, but they're clean clothes like this, <laughs> you know, because this is how I dress. Like, <laughs> Why, why, if I put on a different shirt that all of a sudden I'm going to become more Christian conscious because right. material changed, you know, I don't agree with you, but I do admire what you're saying. I do. And I, and I, and I do, I do see your point. I do see your point, but that's, you know, that's how you're doing it. And I think that's, and I do agree. Like, you know, why makes one feel different? That right. like, like when, you're I go, not when I go to India in November, I'm going on this, uh, this, um, retreat with with raganath Prabhu and uh oh nice wear, obviously i'll wear like you know i'm around devotees like i'm right. gonna wear i'm gonna dress like a devotee but right right here you know for here it just it, it works you know it works differently that way but i think to each his own like you know donaraj okay. he, he wears you know he has a sika and wears a tilak all the time and when he comes to work at my restaurant he's wearing tilak you right. know that's fine too whatever you know however everyone's comfortable in christian God, personally exactly. like, i don't like you know chokers so I wear like a long, you know, like right. silver Tulsi, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, but same here. It's neither here nor there. Like it, it's just external to me. I'm not saying that my understanding no. is right. It's right. right for me. For you, for you. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know, uh, even devotees have a hard time saying that outwardly because because you know you got flack even for for what you you know doing the service with the jeans on and everything some yeah. people can't handle that you know i mean your personality my personality also is the same like like kind of like okay you can say what you want but i'm going to take it though i'm going to accept it i'm going to live it the way i want to live it not the way someone else is going to tell me how to you know right. 
but yeah, yeah I mean, for me, Christian consciousness is again, it's a, I mean, consciousness is, is in the title of our movement. Like it's, right. it's not Krishna stylishness, you know, <laughs> consciousness. Like that's Good what we point. should be focused Good on. Is we should be focused on, are we thinking about Krishna and right. are we doing what we're doing for Krishna? That should be our focus. And if, and if mm. you need a dhoti for that, then that's great. And yeah. Great you know, point. If you don't, then that's cool too. Yeah. Well, well, Govardhan Prabhu, thank you so much. I mean, this was fantastic. A lot of devotees criticize me, not criticize me, but they say, why are your podcasts so long? We can't listen to all of it and this and that. And I'm like, now I'm thinking about it. It's like, I'm getting so much personally mm. out of these podcasts. It's just like talking to devotees like you, like I admire you so much. And I got so much out of this conversation. Like, I don't care if people don't get it. Don't lose <laughs> the whole thing. Cause I personally got so much out of it, but um, thank, thank you. you so much. And if people want to get in touch with you, uh, they can go to, um, you know, they can contact you at, at Govardhan Das on Facebook and um, also, uh, Portland Bhakti Center is is uh, you have a Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. It's Portland Bhakti. Portland Bhakti on yeah, Instagram. That's on Instagram. That's on Facebook too. And um, and uh, yeah, on Facebook and Instagram, my personal. I, I'm Govardhan Das. Uh, okay. Well, Facebook, I'm Govardhan Das with an A at the end. And uh, right. my personal Instagram is of of that Raja. Okay. Yeah, I can put that uh, in the in the comments later. But um stay on stay on. I'm going to turn off the live, but thank you again so much. This is yeah, episode thank Thanks for everyone to watch too. Yeah, yeah. Episode 51 uh Return to Grace with Govardhan Das. Thank you again so much. And uh thank you to our listeners. Next week we have uh gosh, I don't know who we have next week, but um have a great Gorpurnima everyone. And I will see you uh, later. Uh, again, Prabhu, stay on uh, while I play the outro. Hari Bol. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna.